Hey, everybody. Welcome. We're so glad you've joined us tonight. I'm uh, very excited to introduce you to my guest, Beckett Cook, tonight. We're going to talk about our public witness as Christians on topics related to sexuality, marriage, and specifically how that public witness has been playing out in regard to contemporary Christian music artists. So those of you who are regular viewers may know that I come out of the CCM industry. I spent several years as a part of the uh, teen pop group called Zoe Girl. So when there's news related to CCM and culture, my ears perk up just a bit, and I've been noticing that there have been several CCM artists just over the past several years who have changed their stance on uh, sexuality. They've come out possibly in favor of gay marriage and relationships, whether they've said that really explicitly or been more implicit in their affirmation. And of course, since its inception, the contemporary Christian music industry has grown into a multi-million dollar industry. And I, I, you know, I wonder if, the, if that's one of the reasons that the waters have become so murky on what individual CCM artists believe. Uh, if you want to take a look back into the archives, I did a discussion with Jeremy and A.D. Camp and John Cooper and Corey Cooper of Skillet, uh, sort of about this whole phenomenon of deconstruction and CCM artists and what they believe and why maybe we're seeing so many of these changes of their minds on this. And so with public stories of deconstruction and several of these CCM artists changing their minds on the historic uh, Christian ethic on sexuality and gender, I think it's left a lot of people really confused. So tonight, Beckett Cook is going to join me to share his story because he's got a a very unique perspective on this topic to help me speak to this as well. We're going to take questions live, both from Facebook and YouTube. So if you have a question, please write the word QUESTION in all caps. That will help us to see that it's a question and it won't get lost in all of the other comments. And so uh, I'm going to I'm gonna bring Beckett on here uh, to talk with us. Uh, Beckett, so glad that you joined me again. You've been on the podcast before, but it's good to see your face this time. It's great to be on and yes. we're live, which is, which is scary. We're live. Yeah. Yeah. It's like no editing <laughs> we're, this is it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So Beckett, you have a unique perspective on the topic of, uh, Christianity and the historic sexual ethic of the church. Uh, now I, I want to tell everyone watching that you and I have done an episode before on my audio podcast, and that was more of a, a you know, a kind of a deeper dive into your story, which you do chronicle in your wonderful book, A Change of Affection. So everybody go get that book, A Change of Affection. Yes, so here's the book. There it is. <laughs> Good. He's ready to go with it. And I've said this before, and I don't mean to embarrass you, Beckett, but it's really one of my favorite books. Um, oh, I, I found myself reading it, and I said this to you before, um, but I found myself jealous as a, as a lifelong Christian to read your story of being so radically transformed so quickly by the power of the gospel. I was jealous that I never had quite a radical experience like that, just kind of what seemed to be out of nowhere. So I'd love for you to share how you came to know Jesus and what your life was like before that happened. Yeah. So um, as a very young guy when i was in elementary school i started to understand that i was attracted to the same sex which was very much forbidden in the you know in the 80s in dallas mm -hmm. texas and and i was raised in the roman catholic church and so it was um by you know by cultural standards by my family standards by uh everything it was it was very taboo to to be gay so having these having same-sex attraction was a very kind of strange phenomenon i didn't really know what to do with it um but i kind of i somehow managed to navigate it uh sort of well and and then in high school that's when kind of things took off i i ended up becoming best friends with somebody who was dealing with the same thing so suddenly i had this best friend and we could talk about everything with each other we could you know talk about our feelings and what was going on and we actually I, I was very precocious and i we went out to gay bar i was 15 years old like going to gay bars going to nightclubs in dallas going to all kinds to going to drag shows drag you know drag queen shows and which when i the first one i went to it was so shocking to me i was like whoa this is crazy but so i had um 
very early on, you know, in high school, I had a lot of kind of experience in the in the gay world. And um, I and I, again, I was so young and I, I not only was I 15, but I looked even younger. And so I'm not sure how I got into these bars and clubs. But uh, so and then the same thing happened. I went away to college and I ended up befriending someone. And again, he turned out to be have same sex attraction. We came out to each other. And then again, I had, a, you know, a best friend and confidant in college to kind of, you know, go, go through, navigate this thing. Cause again, in college, I was still in the closet. I wasn't out to anyone really. I was out to like two or three people. And I never saw, I, I never thought being gay was my identity at that point. Like I, I didn't think it was like a lifelong thing. I thought it was just like, I didn't really think about it. I just was like, this is what I'm feeling now. And I'm just kind of, I'm going to go with it, you know? And then it wasn't until after college and I moved to Tokyo with my best friend from college and I lived there for a year. And that's when things really changed because his friend from Texas came to visit us and his friend and I ended up falling in love. And that was the first time I had ever experienced that with another person. And once that we, we became boyfriends and once that happened, I, I was just like, okay, this is who I am. This is my identity. And I told my family, I told my friends, I told everyone. And, and then after Tokyo, I moved to Los Angeles and immediately got into a really fun group of friends and, uh, just really just ambitious kind of, they all run Hollywood now. These all my friends from the, <laughs> the nineties in LA, they literally like everything you watch on Netflix, they are creating for you. <laughs> so they're poisoning the, the world. Um, but so I got into this really fun, smart group of friends, uh, ambitious directors, writers, actors, producers, uh, had so much fun in the nineties in LA, like went to premiere movie premieres every week, went to the Oscars, the Emmys, the golden globes, the after parties, the vanity fair parties, the, the, uh, the governor's ball after the Oscars, like, you know, had dinner with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. And, um, with, I, I literally everyone, like I met everyone, knew everyone was friends with movie stars, was friends with, uh, with TV actors and friends with, um, just so many different people, directors of, of really big films that then all my friends in the nineties were, they were suddenly going from being like someone's assistant to like Diane Keaton's assistant to becoming her producing partner overnight. And like, because he sold a screenplay. And so all my friends were just like, it was like weird. It was like this time of every couple weeks, someone would be like, Oh, I just, Minnie Driver was like, oh, I just booked this movie with Matt Damon called, um, I forgot the name of the movie. Now. <laughs> Wait, what's the name of that movie with Minnie Driver? I can look it up. Matt Damon? Um, it was huge. She was, she was nominated for an Oscar for it. Um, oh my gosh. I can't. I, I'm looking can't it up right it. now because somebody's probably already. Oh, Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so I was friends with Minnie. I watched her go through that whole thing with that movie and. And, um, and so I was having like, you know, I was having kind of an amazing time and we all wanted the same things. We all wanted, you know, relationship, the define true love. And, uh, you know, mo half my friends were straight, half were gay or whatever. There was, it was a mix of, of people. And, um, but we all wanted love. We all wanted, we all wanted to make a mark on this world, make it big in Hollywood kind of thing. And then we all wanted to have these kind of extraordinary experiences. Uh, I mean, we never said this explicitly, but it was just like, that was understood. And, and that's what we were doing. And so I, I just was having the, a great time. I was traveling around the world. I was going to New York all the time and to, to Europe and, and, uh, and then, it, so I was having this amazing time until it wasn't so much fun anymore. And that, so after, I don't know, 10 plus years of this kind of uh, decadent life that I was living or sort of like, uh, yeah, just this life I was living in, in LA, I started to kind of feel the weight of the meaninglessness of life. I'm like, okay, 
Like I, I'm doing all this stuff. It's really fun, but why? Where's the purpose in life? What's the meaning of life? Obviously, everyone wants to know that. But um, but for so long, I was so distracted by shiny objects that it I just kind of didn't really have to think about it. And then it just kept weighing down on me until I, until I had this moment in Paris. I was at Paris Fashion Week in 2000, March of 2009. And I had this moment, I was at the, I went to a bunch of the shows and uh, their fashion shows and uh, the party, the after parties. And I was at one after party, had this kind of moment of like, is that all there is? And I just felt this overwhelming sense of emptiness. And I was like, you know, everyone within, from the fashion world was there. Kanye was there. And, and I just was like, this can't be my life anymore. Like I've mm -hmm. done this for probably 15 years. What's 1993 to 2009? I, I know you're bad at math. I am too. But anyway, that whatever that, how many years that is. That's, that's some years. <laughs> that's some years. So I'm like, I can't keep doing this. Like, I can't just keep going to fancy dinner parties at Ariana Huffington's house, you know, or I can't keep going to parties at Prince's house where he's before he performed for three hours. You know, I like these are really exciting, fun things, but they ultimately they they fall short. And and so I got back to L.A. and as God would have it, six months later, I was at a coffee shop in Silver Lake and I met a group of Christians they uh i i basically it was kind of a christian's fantasy come true i literally turned to them i'm like hey are you guys christians like what's the gospel <laughs> literally like yeah i'm an atheist and i'm gay but what's the gospel and they were happy to share the gospel and um so they told me about their faith and and they invited me to their church reality la which is in hollywood on sunset boulevard and um so i i i was like okay, well, what does your church believe about homosexuality? And I kind of knew the answer, but, you know, I just, I was like, and they said, well, we believe it's a sin. And I was like, oh, okay, well, and what's interesting about that moment is I, I, because of that night in Paris six months before, I was open to, I just was kind of open to hearing that because mm -hmm. a year before that, 10 years, five years, 10 years before that, I would have just been like, you guys are nuts. Like mm -hmm. I'm out of here. But because of that night, I just was like, okay, maybe, maybe there is a God and maybe I, maybe homosexual behavior is a sin and maybe I've built my entire life on a false foundation and I don't know it. I mean, that's a possibility. So they invited me to church, their church, I, I said, just give me the address. I don't, I really don't know if I'm going to go because again, it's like if any of my friends had found out that I had gone to an evangelical church, it just would have been bizarre. Like they would have been like Beckett's off his rocker. Like he's crazy now. And, and it's also like kind of betraying your people sort of, and none of my friends believed in God. I mean, it was just like, we didn't even have to discuss it. It was just, we never once mentioned God in, in our conversations. And, um, it was just understood that that God didn't exist and that the Bible was a, an ancient myth like any other ancient myth. And um, so anyway, the following Sunday, I get up and I go and I'm like, I guess I'm going to go to this church. And I went to the noon service and I, um, I walk in, sit down and, you know, the pastor comes out and he starts preaching on Romans chapter seven and as he's preaching, uh, just things start to happen. So the things go into, into high gear and um, everything he's saying, every word he's saying, every sentence he's saying is resonating as truth in my mind and my, my heart. And I, I don't know why I'm like, what is he saying? Like, this is crazy. This is the gospel. And it was the first time in my life that I had really heard and understood the gospel. Like the, that the gospel was really presented to me in a clear way. Because uh, it was so obfuscated. I, growing up, going to um, my, my Jesuit schools, you know, it was always kind of like hazy. So it was the first time I was like, wow, this is the gospel. This is good news. And, um, and so 
after the sermon, he, I didn't want him to stop preaching for, he pre preached for an hour and I was like, just keep talking. Like I, I, I want to hear, I want to know more. And I was, I was literally on the edge of my seat. And then after he, he left the stage, but before he left, he said, you know, there's people on the side of the, of the auditorium who can pray for you if you want prayer for anything. So again, I walk up to this stranger on the side of the church on of the auditorium. And again, it's a Christian's fantasy come true. I'm like, Hey, I don't know what I believe, but I'm here. And he's like, mm. let me pray for you. And he prayed for me. And, um, it just seemed so kind of powerful. And I was like, why does this random straight dude care for me so much? And why mm. does he care about my eternity so much? You know? And then I thanked him. I went back to my seat and that's when it all happened. <laughs> So I, I sat down, everyone else was standing up and worshiping and singing for the next 25 minutes. I sat down and this, as soon as I sat down, I just, the Holy spirit just like flooded my body and my mind, my soul, my spirit and God, it was so, it was like Paul being caught up in the third heaven. It was like, it was so, it was like a near death experience. It was so intense. It was like a road to Damascus. I keep making all these analogies, but it was like, it was just so powerful. And God, in that moment, I, I, I'll never forget this. Like he, in my mind, I was in the presence of God, like in just like Isaiah in the temple. And God said, I'm God. Jesus is my son. Heaven is real. Hell is real. The Bible is true. Welcome to my kingdom. And I just immediately burst into tears and just was crying and crying for the next 25 minutes, could uncontrollably sobbing. Mm. And, and then it happened. So I collect after the service ended, I collected myself, got home somehow. I don't even know how I drove. Cause I was so just like, I, I was just like on I, I don't even know. I was so just like overwhelmed and I got home and I got into my bed to take a nap <laughs> and God was like, you know, Moses in the cleft of the rock. He's like, let me show you some more of my glory. <sighs> and again, it was just like, God's just glory just was revealed more just to me. And I jumped up out of my bed in my, in the middle of my room. And I said, God, you have my whole life. Like I'm yours. I'm done. I'm done. And I knew in that moment that homosexual behavior was a sin. I knew it was wrong. I knew it was no longer my identity immediately. Like God just mm -hmm. made it so clear and so, so crystal clear. And I knew that dating guys was no longer a part of my future. And I didn't, but I didn't care at all because I just met Jesus and I'm like, I'm going to go with Jesus. I don't care about those guys. Good riddance to that life. And so I was happy to, it was very easy for me and I was happy to leave that life behind. I know that's not the case for a lot of people, but um, I just knew immediately like, this is not, this is not who I am, nor is it ever going to be again. And, uh, that was 12 years ago, almost to the, almost exactly 12 years ago, September 20th, 2009. And, uh, I still am just in awe of God's grace on my life. I I'm just in awe of like that God out of all the gay guys in West Hollywood. He just like, he's like, I'm going to pluck you out of that darkness and pull you into my marvelous light. And yeah. he just like, it was crazy. Anyway, that's that's it. what happened. Well, I love that. And one of the parts of your story that stands out to me so much, and it did when I was reading your book as well, is when you're in the coffee shop and you see all these Christians there and you just ask outright, what does your church believe about homosexuality? And I think that this is maybe where we're going to intersect with the whole CCM idea because CCM artists right now um, are, like I mentioned in the opening, we're seeing so many of them kind of come out in favor of gay marriage, sort of, kind of, or, you know, just make these vague statements when they're asked. And so just to give a little context for this, uh, we were talking before we went on the air and I was sharing about how when I first came into the contemporary Christian music industry in 1999, and we were just getting started. I think we had we were recording our first album, getting ready to do some press, and the record label hired us a media trainer. So this was like a full day, maybe it was two days, I don't remember, of of media 
training. And so they hired this ex-newscaster who do, you know, does this media training full-time, basically going to come in and teach us how to do a good radio interview, how to, um, you know, by the way, I was told I need to smile more. <laughs> I guess I didn't smile <laughs> enough for Christian radio. Um, but, well, yeah, it was for TV, too, because you couldn't see the smile on the radio. But at any rate, we were, we were really taught we would do role play where she would interview us and we practiced. And it came up this question. What are you going to do if somebody asks you about homosexuality? Uh, and, and we were instructed, as best as I can remember, to evade that question. So we were instructed, look, you know, don't, you don't have to answer it. Just say something like, you know, you're here to sing about Jesus and to uh, shine light and hope to people. And, you know, you just, just don't answer that question. And I remember that didn't really sit well with me because even at the time, I was thinking, now back then we weren't, I would, I don't ever recall being asked that question, but just in the training back then, knowing that they didn't really want us to answer that, it didn't hit me right because I thought either the gospel is good news or it's not. And if it is, we shouldn't be ashamed of it. And, and so that was something that kind of bothered me. But today, it's a little different now. I think that what we're seeing in culture today is this is the main question that a lot of CCM artists are being asked. Um, it, you know, I'm not going to just list out a bunch of stories or a bunch of names. You, go, you all can go online and find this. In fact, there's even uh, websites dedicated to ranking uh, Christian artists on where they stand on LGBT. There's one called Church Clarity where they rank the top 20 and they go back through all the interviews and try to find, you know, what they've ever said about it or not said about it. And they try to say, okay, they're either affirming or they're not. So this is high pressure for Christian artists right now. And I want to get back to that part of your story when you, you just point blank asked, what does your church believe about homosexuality? And he answered you very directly. Now that could have sent you running. You could have just said, well, you guys are all bigots. I'm out of here. You know, the Christians are everything I thought they were. Bye. Um, but, but as it relates to, you know, people who are even on the radio and they're being asked this in magazines, in press, even, uh, they've been asked these questions in billboard magazine, Christian artists have been asked what their stance is on homosexuality. And it seems like from what I can tell, many of them are kind of giving these super vague answers and it's vague enough, I think in their perception to mm -hmm. satisfy the, the people who are the activists that want to get the affirmation. They're also vague enough to kind of satisfy the Christians who will say, well, they didn't exactly come out affirming. They just talked about love and this and that. And, uh, and I think that, okay, so when I was a little kid, I grew up in church and we sang this song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. <laughs> and then yeah. you sing this verse where you're like, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. And it seems like a lot of contemporary Christian music artists, and I say this with love in my heart, but like you're hiding that stuff under a bushel, you know, like you, you don't want to come out mm -hmm. and say what the Bible says about it, because I think deep down, maybe there's some shame there over the gospel. But Beckett, I wonder if you can speak to that. If you're listening to a Christian artist on a radio interview you're in your car and they're asked that question, I mean, it's a tough question if you're just in the middle of an interview and you've got five minutes to answer, but this guy answered you very directly. I wonder if you could speak to this. What If, if there, you knew that there were some contemporary Christian artists watching this right now, what advice would you give them if they're asked that question? Well, I just, you know, when you were talking, I thought of when Jesus is about to go to the cross and he, uh, you know, his disciples are kind of fleeing and he turns to Peter and he says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, where am we where are we going to go you have the words of eternal life and i think about that and i think <clears throat> literally if you're not speaking the truth especially you know if you're not speaking the, the truth of the gospel and on this issue particularly you are deceiving people and you're depriving them of the words of eternal life because as as obviously paul says do not be deceived like if you you know, if, if if you can't, you will not inherit the kingdom of God if you're living in unrepentant sin and, and unrepentant sexual sin, and so and other sin too. But um, so I, you know, I when those when those Christians told me just very bluntly that it was a sin, I really appreciated that. Mm -hmm. I because 
we live in a postmodern world where there's no right or wrong, no sub, you know, true answer and everything's kind of subjective and there's no objective truth. And it's like, I'm tired of, I lived in that postmodern world. So I was happy to hear them say very clearly, we believe this is a sin. And so I would just say, I mean, and I know it's, I know in today's culture and cancel culture, it's very risky to say that it could cause you your career, but yeah. it caused me my career. Mm -hmm. um, in, in 2019, when, when my book came out, I, I lost my career. And um, so I, I know what the results can be, but it's like, okay, well, what do you, what do you want to do? Do you want to confuse people and lead them astray and lead them to destruct on a path to destruction? Or do you want to help lead them to eternal life? Do you want to yeah. speak the truth and help people and help lead people to eternal life? Like that's the bottom line. It's like this life. I always talk about this. Like this life is a vapor. It's two mm -hmm. seconds long. What do you want your life to be? Do you want to like evade things? Do you want to have endless debates about this issue? Or do you want to just submit to <clears throat> submit to the Lord and be honest about the gospel and be honest about the word of God? Like that's that's so basic. And yeah. and we're here for a split second. And so it's like just be truthful. And 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 God will God is going to take care of you. Like he knows He's going to honor that. He's going to honor your obedience to him and honor your honesty. And, um, and, and he, and whatever happens, if you lose your job, career, if you lose your job, like God is going to provide for you. He, yes. I mean, he's not going to just like <laughs> drop you. And yeah. so he owns the universe. And, and I, I can, I mean, as a testament to that, you know, when I lost my career, God, brought other things you know i went to seminary and blah 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 for and i got my master's degree but but god uh he provided after i lost my career and he continues to provide in various ways and and it's just like i i know i can trust him like he's my heavenly father i know i can trust him and the last thing i want to do is be responsible for somebody ending up in eternal torment ending mm -hmm. ending up eternally separated from god like yeah. that's the last thing i want to do yeah so that and i talked to this this young woman who i, I was at a church speaking uh, i don't know six months ago and she's she came up to me and she said she told me she was a lesbian and she was 18 years old and she said um you know she said why do you feel like you have to fix people and i said First of all, I can't do that. Like the Holy Spirit has to do that. But I said, all I said to her was, all I care about is your eternal life. That's all I care. Like, of course I care about you're struggling right now and I wanna help you, but I ultimately care about your eternal life. And when I said that to her, she just immediately was disarmed and was suddenly like, oh, he cares about my eternal life. And she was so sweet after that. And like, I gave her a copy of my book and, and she, she, I, I ended up hearing later that she was very thankful for that moment. And it's like, we have to speak the truth. Like yeah. we can't hide from this. That's so good. And I, I love that you brought out the point about, I mean, you've really put your money where your mouth is. You've lost your whole, I mean, you had a, a wildly successful career as a set designer and you've lost that career over your, basically your answer to this question. And so I think that, you know, I, I have no idea if any CCM artists are watching this, but, you know, I think that that's a strong word for, for people who are in a position of influence. They're in a position where people are, where they're highly platformed. People are aware of who they are. There's lots of, it's a, like I said, it's a multi-million dollar industry. And I understand, I want to say this too, I understand the pressure 
um, of having a lot of other people's livelihoods depending upon your success. We had crew guys, we had a, a band who all had families, we had record executives who all had families, and our success sort of paid their bills, you know? And so I understand even from a from a less selfish point, I mean, from a selfish point, we can all understand it. Nobody wants to lose their career, but then there's these secondary issues too, where it's like, well, you know, if I say the wrong thing or if I offend the wrong person, uh, my guitar player is going to lose his livelihood or, or, you know, the people that you love and that you travel with who are depending upon you for your next tour. And I get that. Um, but, but I think that that Beckett, you make such a good point that it's like Jesus said, he said, whoever wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And he says, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so I think that for people who are in positions, it's not just CCM, but people who are in positions who are influencers in that sense, that when this question is asked, we have to answer honestly, because ultimately we can't we can't be more concerned with offending the culture than we are offending the creator of heaven and earth the lord of the universe like that's who we don't want to offend and i think that you know and i've i've used this verse so many times on this podcast so if this is you know just repetitive i apologize but it's just so appropriate and that's when paul says when we're preaching the gospel we spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. And to some, it smells like life. To those who are being saved, it smells like life. To those who are perishing, it smells like death. And how we answer this question, like Beckett, you were in a position where God was in the process of saving you. So to you, that question smelled like, the answer smelled like life. And to others, it's going to yeah. smell like death. But we just have to speak the truth. And of course, we, we want to do that with all the love in our hearts, because it is a loving answer, I think, because the gospel is beautiful and it is good news for everyone, because we're all mm -hmm. invited to lay all of our stuff at the feet of Jesus. All of us have not just sin, but we all have sexual sin that we have to lay at the feet of Jesus. And um, I think it was Hilary Ferrer from Mama Bear Apologetics who used the metaphor of like, everybody has to pick up their sexual cross every day. You know, we all have to yeah. do that. And um, and so it's, and it's a good word. Don't you, don't you think it's a good word? Yeah. And I just, I was thinking when you were talking and I talk about this in my book, there's a chapter on, on this, but speaking of, you know, cancel, mm -hmm. <laughs> there were three guys who Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who were going to be really canceled. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we, the Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were in Babylon in uh, captivity and they essentially were commanded by Nebuchadnezzar to bow down to culture to bow down to this golden statue and they, but they knew the word of God and they refused to do it. And they knew that the result would be going to, into a, a fiery furnace and burning to death. Um, but they didn't, they refused. This is the thing. It's like, it's so crucial. They refused to compromise God's word mm -hmm. by one iota. And so, and we are the same. We're strangers. We're aliens in this world as Christians, we're aliens in this culture and we need to be set apart. And, uh, and it, and again, when we do, when we kind of are vague about our answers on this issue or, 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 or are gay affirming with our answers, we're bowing down to the God of this culture. We're bowing down to the prince of, of the power of the air who is Satan. Like that's mm -hmm. who we're bowing down to. And so it's so important to, to have your convictions not only settled about this issue, but also be um, be ready to to be clear on on it if you're asked about it if you're asked directly. I mean, I'm I, I was on so many photo shoots after I got saved. I was on so many shoots, and that was the first question people when they found out I was a Christian. The first question they would ask me was. Well, what about homosexuality? What about being gay? And I would be totally off. And I thought I was going to get fired on every shoot for, for like, a long time. What would you time. say? But How would you answer it? I would say, um, I would tell them the truth. I would just say, this one guy, this one photographer from New York came into town. I had worked with him before and he came into town and we were on this shoot for UGG boots for UGG. And he, um, he said, Beckett, how are you doing? And 
I was like, oh, I'm great. I, I, I'm a Christian now. I'm an evangelical Christian. I had this like crazy conversion to Christianity. And he looked at me and he's like, you can't be gay and be a Christian. And I was like, oh my gosh. I'm like, David, I'll get to that. I'll get to that later in the, in the week. Cause it was a week long shoot. And at the end of the shoot, we sat down and I, I went through it with them. I was like, look, here's the deal. You know, it, yes, it's a sin. And, but that's not when you know, when you have a relationship with the God of the universe, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, like, as Paul says, everything else is rubbish compared to that. Like, I, I count everything as loss or rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I'm like, I'm not defined by my sexuality. I, it's like, that's the last thing on my mind. I like, all I care about is serving and honoring Jesus. Like he redeemed me out of the depths of the mire of darkness. <laughs> and like, and so, so I just, but it depends on the person, but I, I, I usually am very upfront and clear about it. I just say, yeah, it's, it's a sin. And I lived that life for 20 years, but God redeemed me out of it. Like, yeah. and it's amazing. That's great. You ready to take some questions? Yeah. Okay. So we'll see. We'll see how, you know, if we don't know the answer, we, if, we, if we don't know the answer, we might have a resource for you that you can uh, find the answer in. But this first one's from Melissa Heeg, and I think this is a question a lot of people have. She said, uh, how do you think that we can apply 1 Corinthians 5, 11, uh, to our lives in a God-honoring and loving way? And she said, thanks, I've been so blessed by you both. Let me read that verse for us so that we have some context. Uh, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians. And uh, of course, you know, the Corinthians, that was like a, a real mess. Like the Corinthian church was just yeah, a mess. They were wild. Yeah. And so he says, uh, but now I'm writing to you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. That's important. If he is guilty yes. of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So, so how do we make yeah. sense of that? Yeah, that, that, I mean, cause as you said, the key word is brother. So if it's, it's, if, if, if it's someone who professes Christ and they're, they're continuing in sexual immorality or in continuance in sin, um, that's what Paul is talking about. But as you know, in the gospels, Jesus dines with prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners, and he's not, but he's not, Jesus never leaves someone just kind of in their sin he always it's always there's always a, a kind of a call to repentance when when levi leaves when jesus calls levi from the tax booth and he says come follow me levi leaves that corrupt life behind and he follows jesus and they have a feast at his house and so and it, the woman caught in adultery etc um and the woman at the well in samaria he you know he never just leaves people in their sin. Um, and so that, yeah, so that passage, I'm sorry, that verse is for believers and not for non-believers. Do you yeah. have anything to add? No, I think that's, that's just an important, um, I think this is a, a powerfully convicting verse, I think for people yeah. who, who want to just sort of play both sides, they want to kind of have a foot in both worlds. And, and it, it's a very, challenging verse. It's, it's one, I'll be honest, like I, it's challenging for me because yeah. there can be, I think some gray area where it's like, if you are ministering to someone who might think they're a Christian, but they're, you, you know, they haven't really, you know, gotten there and maybe you might be able to minister to them. Then it gets a little murky, like, well, so I'm not, I can't even eat with them. But I think that what we have to, to bear in mind is that th this verse has to do with people who are in repetitive, uh, unrepentant sin, meaning they don't want to change. They don't, they don't want their mm -hmm. life to change. And I think that the reason, especially, and Paul even says that we are to judge those inside the church. We're not really, we're not supposed to judge outsiders. So there's a, if we put all these verses together, there seems to be this broader picture of protection 
protecting the church from co- being corrupted, right? Yeah. So this is this is so that people inside of the church won't become confused and won't become, you know, be drawn into certain types of sin. Because let's face it, I mean, this is not a popular message, but the, the Bible is deeply concerned with our personal holiness. It's deeply concerned with our sanctification, which is a process. Nobody, you know, wakes up completely sinless. We will all be on a, you know, a process of that yeah. sanctification until we're face to face with Jesus. Um, but I think this is one of those verses that is is meant to protect the church from not from people who are kind of confused or kind of I don't know or or I'm struggling with something. But this is to protect the church from people who are just kind of wolves. They're coming in saying, "Look, I'm this is who I am. I'm not changing a thing. This is." great and you know there there has to be some protection for the church with something like that so that's probably the best way i could answer that just without you know having done a real deep dive on it just now yeah and and also you know you mentioned unrepentant sin and the problem with this issue in particular is with homosexuality is is it obviously in our culture it's not only celebrated and seen as good and righteous but also as a sacrament and mm. so if if you believe that, if you believe that homosexual behavior is righteous and good, then you'll never have a chance to repent of that. And there's no salvation without repentance. So that's the key issue with this, this, this thing, with this revisionist um, stuff on, on homosexuality. It, it just, it, it leaves people dead in their trespasses, basically. <laughs> and yeah. that's not a good place to be. Yeah. That's that's a strong word there. All right, this question is from Jared, and it's, can you address nature versus nurture in sexuality? Do certain individuals have a natural propensity mm-hmm. to same-sex attraction, or do they develop it uh, as they grow up? Yeah, thank you, Jared. Um, so I I talk about this in the book, too. There's, there's three kind of general major views on there's the nature nurture there's the nature view that it's you know possibly genetic or genetic predisposition um and then there's the nurture view that it's environmental that you know something happened to you when you were young or you were you know sexually abused um but there's also a third one which is the hormonal in utero uh view and no scientist knows really like no scientist knows the answer to this question um so I think it, it could be a combo platter. <laughs> I think it's a combination of a lot of, I, it may be a genetic predisposition. It may be uh, hormonal. So in that case, it, it, the idea of born this way could be true, but it doesn't matter because it's a, that's a whole, that's a moot point because, because of the fall, because of the fall of mankind, we're all born, our, our, even our genetic coding is corrupted. Even mm-hmm. our hormonal development in utero is corrupted. So we could very well be born gay, you know, that, or be born attracted to the same sex. Um, I, you know, I, I certainly didn't choose that. You know, I never chose to be attracted to the same. I personally think there is a... Um, I think there's a very large hormonal element to it, especially with gay men, uh, because it's just apparent. I think it's just apparently it's it's apparently obvious. Um, that's that's a redundant thing to say, but so I, I. But the bottom line is, people always say this, but it's kind of a, a pithy thing to say. But you know, yes, you, we might be born gay, but you have to be born again. But it's there's truth in that, and um. So yeah, I, I don't, nobody really knows what causes it or, uh, I, I certainly think in, in, in our culture now, there's tremendous peer pressure to explore this area. Right. So that, that's another thing that's happening. So, um, but the bottom line is whether you're born gay, whether you, it's, or it just developed as you were growing up, uh, it doesn't matter. It's, it's all it's it's we're all born with innate impulses that are yeah. sinful. Every human being is it was born with sinful innate impulses, and we have to, as you said, die to ourselves. We have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ if we want to be if we want to be His follower. You, you don't have to be His follower. Like yeah. that, that's an option. You know, you, you don't really have to do that. 
yeah. if it's too but if you and because jesus says count the costs if you're gonna if you're gonna build a building don't build it halfway and then because everyone's gonna laugh at you and don't if you're gonna be you know go into battle don't do it half do it half baked you know like yeah he literally he says count the costs and that's the thing we have to count the cost if we want to be followers of christ count the cost and and if you and if you say okay i'm gonna do this i'm gonna follow him well then he says take up your cross deny yourself take up your cross so we have to do that as well yeah and I think it's just, you know, I, I, I appreciate that answer because I think a lot of Christians spend so much energy trying to dive into the science. Oh, you know, we can't, we, it can't be that somebody could be born with a genetic predisposition toward that or, or but I mean, like you said, it doesn't matter. I think it's a, it's a it is a moot point. People are born yeah. all kinds of ways. There's studies done on genetic links to being predisposed to becoming an alcoholic or a drug addict or something like this. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, uh, like you said, our, the fallenness of, of us isn't just our spirits, our everything. Yeah, you just look at birth, def birth defects. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's a corruption of our genetic coding. Yeah, yeah. So people are born all kinds of ways. Um, the point is that we are offered this beautiful gift of salvation, uh, which ultimately will break that curse, and we will all be with the Lord. You know, those who want to be in His presence forever will get to be with Him forever, where there's no tears, no crying, no praying. All of that broken stuff will be fixed yeah. and ultimately made new. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's good. We have uh, a question here from Ruth. She says, what do you think the Christian parent's response should be when the child is saying, if you don't approve, basically, I guess, you know, don't approve of my yeah. um, homosexuality, then we can't be in relationship. What, what advice would you give? And that's a tough one because that, that's becoming more and more intense because of the culture we're in now. Uh, and I, I get that. I hear that a lot from people. I get a lot of messages about that. Um, that's so tough. Uh, I don't even know kind of where to begin to counsel a parent on that because basically the, the, the wrong, I mean, I would, I'll just say the wrong thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> the wrong thing to do would just to kind of be gay affirming just to, just to have, to keep that relationship fully intact. I think the best way to go about it is to, just uncon just just love your child as as and give your child as much kind of grace as you can much um and and really the, i mean the best thing you can really do is pray and that's what my family did for 20 years they prayed nonstop i mean i have seven siblings my parents myself my my in-laws like they prayed for me without ceasing. I mean, it's a lot of prayer. And it was kind of like uh, Augustine's mother praying for him. Mm. You know, for, for, She was just so intense with her prayers. And that's what my family was like. And, and God answered their prayers, you know, and it's like, you know, if, if the child, if your child is saying, I can't have a relationship with you unless you fully affirm who I am, you know, quote, quote, unquote, who I am, then it's like, all you can really do is say, I love you. Like, I, I disagree with you on this issue, but I love you and I'm always here for you. And the door is always open. It's kind of like, um, the prodigal son. It's like, yeah, like go, you know, he, the father let him go off. He let him take half of his inheritance <laughs> and just let him go. And he's like, okay, go do your thing. And it, it, it's almost like this, his son, the younger brother had to do that. He had to go through all of that and see how empty and terrible it was before he came back to the father. And so that's kind of like how, how we have to be as, you know, if, if you're a parent, you just kind of like, okay, you know, you're going to be a prodigal, but I'm going to, I'm here for you and I'm going to welcome you back anytime. And I, and I am going to pray for you. I mean, you don't even have to tell them because if my family members had told me like, I'm, we're praying for you, we're praying for you, that would have freaked me out. <laughs> so they never did that. They, they never told me that they were praying for me until after the fact. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of, I don't know, what, do you have any thoughts on that? No, I think that, that, that was well put. I think any questions on this topic, 
where it's the dynamic between the parent and the child. Uh, you know, Christopher Yuan's book that he wrote with his mother, uh, Out of a Far Country, is always the one I recommend for that because it kind of walks you through the journey of Christopher's mom praying for him for all those years. And, yes. you know, and I think there were even times where they were estranged. And it's, totally. a, it's a powerful book that can help, I think, mothers who don't quite know how to, how, how to navigate it. Uh, Christopher's mom uh, does a great job helping you kind of navigate those waters. So uh, she we spent a lot of time in her prayer closet. She sure did. She did. Yeah. Okay. Jennifer has a question. Um, what do I say to a gay friend that says he cannot change because it's not his fault he was sexually abused as a child? Well, Jennifer, I was sexually abused as a child too. And um, I was, I was molested by my friend's father when I was nine. And um, that had a huge impact on my life. Uh, but and a lot of you might be thinking, oh, well, that's why he, you were gay. But the problem with that is I, even before that night, I already f was sensing same-sex attraction. So um, I think that night really just kind of fully pushed me in that direction. But um, um, yeah, I mean, it may not be, it, it's not your fault. Like, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't my, my same sex attraction wasn't my fault. Uh, it was just something that happened. It's something that developed in me. And, but again, um, you know, at some point, if you want to, as we we've talked about, if you want to follow Christ, you have to be willing to give that up. You have to be willing to even, you know, again, even if you're heterosexual, you have to give up premarital sex with yeah. your boyfriend or girlfriend you have to give up adultery you, you, yeah you know it's like you can't just so yeah it's yeah i get it like my same my same sex attraction was not my fault um it was again the fault of various things but ultimately the fault of the fall of mankind and and but god when God, when God redeemed me 12 years ago and put his spirit in me, it gave me supernatural power to be able to follow Christ and to be able to deny that aspect of myself. I have the Holy Spirit. I'm the temple of God. Yeah. <laughs> we're the temple of God. Like yeah. we have, it's just crazy to me that we're the temple of God. We have the spirit in us and that spirit gives us the strength and, and gives us the power to to live holy lives. So, yeah. uh, and again, it's not always easy. It's not perfect. And it's, there's, it's, it's messy, but, but it, it's, it's definitely a supernatural power. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really key, especially with this question, because, you know, the gospel isn't going to your friend and saying, Hey, you have to change. That's yeah. not, that's yeah. not the message of the gospel. The gospel is yes, repent, but you can't, you can't stop doing things in your own power, strength and power. What repentance is, is turning toward God and saying, I give, I give this, my life to you. I trust you to, to work in me. And he will put his spirit in you. And, and he makes those changes as you respond to the light he gives you. And so I, I think maybe that's, that's a thing too, is, um, you know, that's that he, he probably can't change himself. You know, yeah. I couldn't change. I wouldn't have been able to change myself without yes. the spirit. Right. I would have just so, been like, I, what are you talking? I just would have been like, there's no way I'm, I'm not changing. Like why? Yeah. It was the power, was the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's good. Uh, okay. William, is there a difference in the way we discuss this issue with younger generations, given how deeply set notions of identity are for them? Uh, because I think I think what what he's asking here is it seems to me like, you know, when we talk about homosexuality, what we might be talking about is homosexual behavior, right? Men having sex with men, yeah. women having sex with women. Whereas with younger generations, that has they have so bought into the idea that who they are attracted to is who they are, and it almost seems like in in some cases we have to step back, almost like in apologetics, you know, we have to step back. A, f a couple steps and establish if truth exists before we can even share what right. the truth is because we have to persuade someone that there's truth. And so I, I wonder if the question has to do with, you know, do we need to take a couple steps back and how do we untie those identity knots before yeah. we even well, get to I mean, something else? One of the things that 
I talk about a lot when I speak at places is, is we are living, I, I try I I try to communicate this, especially with young people in high school or, or college or even younger, um, that we live in a very specific time and place and culture and history. And the 20, 30 years ago, when I was in high school, uh, it, this was really seen as more of a behavior than an identity. And so you have to ask yourself and you have to help, help your child understand this. Why do you think we are where we are today? Like what has influenced us? What, what has changed? Cause God's word is eternal. Like what's, what's changed? Has the, has God's word changed or has the culture changed? And so, uh, and I go through this and, and, uh, other things I talk about, but it, it's too long to get into, but basically the last 60 years has been a slow process of indoctrination by is that started with the sexual revolution in the sixties, then the seventies with the gay movement that started at uh, Stonewall and, uh, in New York and then, uh, and so on and so on. And so now we're in a culture where almost every te television show, every movie has a gay character, has a hero or heroine who's gay. And so you have to ask yourself, okay, what, why do I believe the things I believe? What, what are the background kind of, what's the background noise that I'm believing? That's mm. not true. And, and so that's a conversation you can have with your, your child, uh, about, it kind of a, and a historical conversation of like, this is where we, these are the, ter and I, I'm actually, I, I might write a book about this, but like the turning points in, mm. in the last 60 years of how we got to where we are today, where it's hyper sexualized, hyper, uh, where our identity is so shaped, um, by our sexuality and, and it's, it's just the nonstop um, indoctrination by the culture, by media, by movies, TV. And it's, and that's why I always say this, that's, that's why it's so important to have the word of God, because <laughs> I always say, if you watched an hour of Netflix, you've just been lied to for an hour. So now you need to read the Bible for an hour and get the truth because you've just been, you need to renew your mind with the mm. truth. And and that's what's happening in our culture now is storytelling. See, that's the other thing is storytelling is so powerful. Yeah. It's so that's the, that's the most persuasive method of persuasion is storytelling. And, and when you have these movies, like, you know, whatever Brokeback mountain or, uh, there's so many and TV shows like will and grace and queer eye and all these things. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to fight back against that because you're, it's so compelling and so persuasive. And, but you have to remember, okay, am I buying into this? Am I being duped yeah. <laughs> or, you know, so that, that's, a, that's the kind of conversation maybe, uh, hopefully I'll, I'll have a book about this and you could, you could read the book to your kid. That would be great. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah, I just came up with this just now. Oh, good. Well, we'll keep our eye open out for that. <laughs> I look forward to the next Beckett book. <laughs> All right, we'll take a couple more here. Um, this is from Kina. How would you discuss the issue with someone who's in a same-sex marriage? I even thought about giving your book to that person who I really love, by the way, but wasn't sure. Um, well, the thing is, if, if the per that's the thing with my, and I talk about this in the book too, but if the person, if your friend already knows what you believe about this issue, if they, they already know what your convictions are, then there's really no need to discuss it again with them. Um, but if you haven't, if you haven't clarified that, maybe you, you know, in a, in a, you know, ask the spirit to, to help you do that with that person. Yeah. But, um, but I think, again, the best thing to do is kind of just be behind the scenes in prayer for that person, for, for your friend, because kind of bringing it up and sort of 
just restating your case over and over to your friend in a same in a same sex marriage is not going to really be helpful. It's re it's possibly just going to push them away. So I think and 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 again, my sister in law did that kind of perfectly. She she loved hanging out with me. She never told me she was an evangelical Christian. She never said, Hey, Becca, you know, you're still sinning, right? <laughs> like you're, you're in sin. Right. And she never, ever once said that to me for all those years, every time we, we would hang out and all she did was she loved me and she prayed for me and prayed for me and prayed for me. She prayed acts 26, 18 over me. If I, I don't have that verse handy, but, uh, it's a very powerful verse. I'm looking it up because I want to. I feel read like it. you're, yeah. <laughs> so, it kind oh, of yeah. in, it cuts off in the middle of a verse, yeah. Yeah, to to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Me. My goodness, everybody, pick somebody <laughs> who does not know the Lord and pray yes. Acts twenty six eighteen over them. That is, that is it right there. Um, all right, we'll take this last question, and then I, I want to ask you one of my own here, Beckett, as we close out. But this is from Human Man, who wants to know, Beckett, human, how, man. human Man wants to know, how often do you interact with gay-affirming, uh, quote-unquote, Christians, and what is your interactions with them like? Um, like, do you get a lot of responses from yeah. that crowd? or? Um, do I, I don't interact with, I mean, I, if I do get into, I don't know, I don't interact with gay affirming Christians a lot, I guess, but see that, that to me is the hardest thing. That's yeah. the hardest part. It's like, I'd rather talk to an atheist <laughs> than a gay, like a quote unquote yeah. gay affirming Christian. Like it's easier to talk to an atheist because it's like, because there's like a double deception going on go with the with a gay affirming christian and um yeah i mean and if i talked if i if i have to get into a debate or whatever with this or a conversation with that person i could i could go you know i could go through exegetically through the the word of god and clarify misunderstandings about this issue and because i again i mean we obviously we don't have time to get into all this, but the the Bible is so abundantly clear about this issue uh, that that it's a sin, it's sinful in the Old Testament, it's sinful in the New Testament, it's transcultural. It's and and when Paul talks about it, it's grounded in the in crea in the in Genesis and the creation narrative, and and so um, it, it's just it's foolishness. It's absolute foolishness to to be a quote unquote gay affirming Christian because it's just it's again it's like I talk about it it's like a square circle or an elderly mm -hmm. an elderly baby you can't you can't do both like mm. you're either gonna follow Christ and deny that part of yourself or you you just you have to just live that life like you can't do both yeah I'm, so as you could tell I I don't mince words yeah. no uh, yeah. Yeah. If you want a straight answer, Beckett's going to give it to you. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> no, don't apologize for that. I, I love that about you. Um, well, cause honestly, Beckett, like you've, you've, you've seen, you've lived that life. You've, you, like you said, you've lived in that kind of darkness. I was in bondage in Egypt for all those years and I don't ever want to go back to Egypt. Yeah. I do not want to go back. Yeah. How many years ago was your conversion? 12. 12 now. Okay. That's great. Well, uh, okay. So Beckett, we're about to, you know, we've, we've kind of used up our time here and I think, I hope I pray this has been helpful for people. Um, I think that, you know, just even in the broader scope, we, we sort of framed this around public Christians, particularly in the CCM industry. And as they're asked this question publicly, they're kind of really targeted with this question. So you know, if you're a CCM artist and you're watching this, like you're going to have to come up with your answer for this. 
And you can choose to be vague. You can choose to be clear. You can choose to uh, not offend the culture. But you can't, you can't please the culture on this question and please God. Like, I think that's what I would leave our audience with yeah. is you're going to have to pick someone to offend. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave it to everybody watching and listening to, to make their decision about who they're going to offend. But I want to let you have the last word here, Beckett. What would you encourage our, our listeners and viewers with tonight as we've sort of, I mean, this is a tough topic to talk about because a lot of, I think this is the thing too, is that everybody now, it's, it used to be, oh, you know, I made a gay friend and that changed my mind. Everybody has gay friends now. Everybody, you know, you can't, it's pretty hard to live in this culture and not at least know and love someone who's, you know, uh, um, d differs from you on this, this topic. And I think that there's such a fear of being perceived as being unloving because of uh, our stance on this, because I think, I think that a lot of Christians genuinely really love the gay people in their lives and yeah. they don't want to come make that person think they don't love them. But w what would you leave us with tonight as we as we close out? When you said we're so be clear, I, I just thought of we're here. We're clear. Get used to it. Yeah. Uh, that's the famous act. Yes. Up. Yeah. yeah. The joke on act up uh, from the 80s. But um, my final word would be. It's the most loving thing you can do is to be clear on this issue that it's the most loving because again, and I just, it's like eternity is at stake. Yeah. That's what's at stake. It's not, this is not a game. Like this is eternity. Our eternal life is at stake. So the most loving thing to do is to be honest, to be clear and to, 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 when you're asked this question, just be honest about it and yeah. let the chips fall where they may and god's gonna honor you again he's gonna he's gonna honor your obedience but just be clear on it and and again it's not hate speech it's actually love speech mm. to, to be clear about this that's really good now i want to make sure people know where they can watch your show the beckett cook show on youtube which is fabulous by the way so oh, tell you. us all the places we can find you online and all of that get connected with you yeah um so yeah the beckett cook show is on youtube and i started the show a year ago and basically it's about it's i try to expose the lies of the culture i do a lot of interviews with people but i also do just episodes where i talk about the lies of the culture that I used to believe because I was, again, because I believed all the lies and I, and then I bring the biblical truth to those lies. And, um, so that's on YouTube and you can go to beccacook.com or, or, uh, to, I think there's more info about stuff on that, yeah. <laughs> on that website. I haven't been on there in a while, Yes, but yeah. And get change of affection, the book. Yeah. So get good. a change of affection. Uh, cause the thing is a change of affection isn't just my story. It's, it's half the first half of my story and the second half are kind of my sort of musings on this issue from, from angles that you may not, you may not, uh, that may be surprising to you. So, um, yeah. And it's, it's a fun, quick read, I think. Yeah. yeah. So just, that's yeah. great. Well, I want to thank my guest, uh, Beckett Cook, for joining me today. If you're listening on audio platforms, it always helps us. If you leave a five-star review, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, cl uh, click like, subscribe. If you saw this post on social media, just all the likes, all the comments, all of that helps with the whole algorithm deal. But thank you all so much for watching. Hey, I want to let you know, we've got a live stream with uh, Mr. Ryan Anderson, who wrote the book, When Harry Became Sally, about the transgender moment we're in in our culture. We're going to be interviewing him on the 19th of this month at 7 p.m. Central. So that's 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 Central, 8 Eastern with Ryan Anderson. And so don't miss that. That'll be on YouTube. And uh, I guess that's it. We will see you guys next time. Thanks so much for joining.